0: Hey, Husker fans, welcome to another episode of the Husker Big Red Podcast with Chris Peterson and Danny Gillette. As always, go Big Red. Good morning, Nebraska fans. Welcome back to the Husker Big Red YouTube channel. I'm Chris Peterson of HuskerBigRed.com. Joining me as always is Danny Gillette of TheGreatCornHolio.org. And Danny, it's a Monday. We're done with the bye week. We got Nebraska football coming back up. Uh, how you doing today?
1: Good. I'm excited to have some football uh, this coming Saturday. And, you know, I like bye weeks for the players because it gives them a chance to reset and The coach has a chance to reset, but boy, as a fan, it is kind of rough. You know, I did watch a lot of football stress-free on Saturday, though. So, I mean, there was that, but I'm excited for Nebraska to get back on the field now with a couple
0: of weeks to
1: fully prepare.
0: Yeah, it'll be good to uh, see Nebraska over the weekend, although there was some Nebraska-related, like, football things happening, as everybody probably knows, with the Adrian Martinez thing that's kind of been trending on – nebraska twitter after you know just interesting that the huskers lost to the sooners 49 14 and then the very next week you know our old quarterback adrian martinez uh you know has a huge game against oklahoma and leads kansas state to you know the kind of upset and the kind of win that you know he just it wasn't ever able to deliver at nebraska so it's like everybody has been now kind of talking about you know is nebraska cursed and it's kind of interesting because it's like you know are they cursed because they couldn't get anything done? And then now as soon as Adrian Martinez leaves, you know, is that why he started playing well? I mean, he did struggle in a loss to Tulane last week. But I don't know, man. Do you, believe in the, do you believe in the Nebraska curse? Or do you just think that Scott Frost was like a really bad coach?
1: Scott Frost was a really bad coach. I mean, for all the knocks that I give on Adrian Martinez, and I will continue to knock him, he was asked to do a lot. You know, he was asked to do a lot over the course of a game with a pretty bad O-line throughout his tenure here. And even when you look at film from his first year compared to his last year at Nebraska, they definitely did not do him any favors. Uh, Mario Verduzco was an absolute joke. Uh, He didn't develop Adrian Martinez. And if he did work with him, he got Martinez confused between should I be a running quarterback and should I be a pocket passer and... You know, there comes a certain point where you just can see mental blocks. You know, you can see it with kickers in the form of missing field goals. And, you know, with quarterbacks, you can see it in terms of, you know, long looks, taking long looks at reads, misprogressions, just overall poor play. And while the line didn't help, I truly believe that Mario Redusco messed him up and You know, I think um, I think it was just a poor, a poor, what do I want to call it? Combination of Scott Frost relying on him too much, and then, you know, his coaching staff not helping Martinez behind the behind the scenes.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it just it was frustrating because Adrian Martinez would play so well at times, and he did have some great games. You know, at Nebraska, I mean, there's no question about that. But it seems like he really struggled, you know, in those big moments. And that's, you know, those close games, you know, the record in close games was horrible with uh, Martinez at quarterback and under Scott Frost. And we've all seen it time and time again. So I think that was like the frustrating thing for me, I guess. And a lot of Nebraska fans was, you know, that why couldn't Adrian Martinez deliver this kind of performance or this kind of drive you know, against Iowa or Wisconsin and one of those games where Nebraska really needed it. And then, you know, that could have maybe gave Nebraska the momentum to to kind of get things turned around. And so I'm happy for him. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm happy that he, you know, things finally kind of worked out and it went well for him. But, you know, it still was like a little bitter, you know, kind of left me with a bittersweet taste, I guess, to see, you know, him do that, especially against Oklahoma, you know, one week after, you know, after Nebraska just totally lays an egg. But I mean, That's life, you know, but uh, it's life as a Nebraska fan right now, I guess.
1: Yeah, and it just speaks to the poor development with talent. Um, And that, to me, goes back to the misses on recruiting. And it all kind of lumps, to me, into one big thing of just not managing personnel correctly. And Martinez was an example of that. Wando Robinson was an example of that. And, you know, it's just... Nebraska under Scott Frost just couldn't either develop talent or retain talent. It was always, you know, I'll, I'm not going to say miracles, but you know, it was kind of a relief when, when they did work out because there were more hits or more misses than hits.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, you know, definitely true kind of going up the recruiting. That's why I think it's important, you know, to get people who can evaluate talent and players, you know, and, and that. I mean you're when you look at recruiting, I mean you're looking at 16, 17-year-old, 18-year-old kids. So there is gonna be, you know, some projection being made there. And uh, you know, and you have to get the right mix of people too in the right culture. And Nebraska just has never it's never seemed like this entire program's kind of been moving in the right direction, you know, cohesive. You know, under Scott Frost, it was always just kind of, you know, mis misman- yeah, mismanaged, I guess is is a pretty good way to say it. But it's like, I don't know, man, I do sort of believe that you know like the firing of Frank Solich the firing of Bo Polini. like maybe there is the curse of Frank Solich and you know like it just makes you think like if Scott Frost had not come to Nebraska you know could he could he find success somewhere else will he go and find success somewhere else after this is it all you know the curse
1: 100 percent. 100 he'll find success because he won't have that pressure of of you know coaching for Nebraska and you know you can all make the excuse that, oh, he he's earned $15 million. What pressure is there? Blah, blah, blah. But it's a lot of pressure. And, you know, he won't have to be under that microscope anymore. Same thing with Adrian Martinez. He won't have the pressure of Frost or playing for Nebraska. And look at what he's doing right now. Granted, it helps when he has a good running game and a good offensive line. But he is succeeding. So there is that.
0: Yeah, I mean, Deuce Vaughn is, you know, a really – he's one of the best running backs in the country. Not that he had a huge game against Oklahoma, but, um, but yeah, you know, the the defense is better and just, you know, kind of a better coaching staff. But, you know, Kansas State did lose to to Tulane last week, and the head coach was just criticizing. So it's not like Adrian Martinez has gone there and just been, like, dynamic from day one. But they are asking him to do a lot less, and that is something that I do think helps because Nebraska, he just couldn't carry – that load the burden that they asked him to
1: and it's easy to be a prisoner of the moment with this Oklahoma game let's see how the rest of the season
0: plays out but Oklahoma was a good win and I'm not taking that away from him that's what everybody's saying the curse that you know the curse of Scott Frost No, the Westerns lost three in a row since they beat Nebraska (laughs) Georgia Southern lost to UAB Oklahoma's now lost you know so everything that you know comes in touch with I guess Scott Frost wasn't around for the Oklahoma game so maybe that logic doesn't work but his
1: remnants. Oh no! He was around. He was around. <laughs> there was there this this there was this big mess last weekend, and he had his fingerprints all over that. And he put his staff in a tough spot. So
0: he was definitely around for the Oklahoma game, 100. percent But yeah, it's a. Uh... I don't know. It was, it was kind of hard to watch, I guess, uh, Adrian Martinez, but, uh, you know, I also watched um, Dave Aranda and Matt Campbell on Saturday. Um, You know, as Baylor took on Iowa State, Baylor came away with the win. And I think it's really, um, I can kind of feel like people coalescing around the idea of Dave Aranda being the head coach. There's been a lot of rumors. Um, I even saw something on Facebook, you know, one of the Facebook groups that you know Dave Aranda was going to agree to some deal or already had—I don't believe that, you know, at all. He still got an entire season to coach, but um, maybe some sort of back-channel thing, you know, was happening. But uh, I do think that Dave Aranda is getting a lot of momentum, and seems like he's kind of the number one target. But it does concern me a little bit, you know, because like Feldman didn't even mention him when he did that reporting stuff too. But it's hard to, you know, interview for another job while you still have a job. So maybe that's part of it.
1: To me, I would pay more attention to what the local guys or guys with Nebraska ties say than a guy like Feldman because a lot of times these national analysts, they'll take the hot story, for example, Nebraska, and they'll try to add as much as they can to it. The problem is they don't really understand, you know, what is going on, or they don't have strong enough connections to where, you know, you would feel comfortable saying, okay, like, this is a good list, or, you know, these are good candidates. So I wouldn't put too much stock into Feldman's report. You know, he's obviously going to try to not use this to get clicks, but he won't have as, you know, in-depth of a view on this, in my opinion. And truthfully, I feel like the... Writers here back in Nebraska and on Nebraska Twitter would probably have a better uh, grasp of what's going on. And I'll just add this really quickly. Just because Dave Aranda hasn't been mentioned doesn't mean he's not being talked to. A lot of times uh, schools will you know, be connected to certain names while they're talking to a coach that is not even in the realm of the
0: public radar. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I do think with some, you know, I think you have to look at, you know, all the, the different reporting. But, um, you know, one thing that's interesting with Feldman is he does seem to sort of have, you know, his pulse on the brad. I mean, he's got like his last podcast. He he got copies of Mickey Joseph practice plans, you know, and like you could read line for line what he was telling his assistant coaches because he had to, Mickey Joseph had to write on there, you know. His, practice schedule started with be in the office at a certain time because apparently under scott frost people just showed up you know whenever there was no organized structure but i think it does depend you know on who those guys have you know i just haven't you know i haven't seen much reporting from you know like uh husker online had a hot board last night and it basically wasn't there was no reporting in it at all it was just him saying you know it was just the guy going through pros and cons of each guy it's like well any person could do that you basically gave no information whatsoever but yeah but I, I mean i do agree with you i trust callahan and like sip you know those are the guys i would look to the most you know during this coaching search and um christopherson i think at yeah. 24 7 those are the three guys that i follow and that i trust more than anybody um for sure i, d- I definitely trust local reporting more than you know the national guys but uh, Feldman I think is pretty solid and Pete Thamel's the other guy tend to you know he doesn't throw out a ton of crap he's usually pretty accurate but you're right in terms of they don't have all the same sources but it depends you know because you don't know who they're talking to and a lot of times the stuff comes from agents too and that might be somewhere where a guy like Feldman might have better sources than you know like Sean Callahan but But yeah, it's it's definitely up in the air. I do think that uh, Dave Aranda makes a lot of sense, though. You know, the name that keeps getting thrown out, though, from both a local and a national perspective that I just hate is Bill O'Brien. And apparently Trev's got connections to him. Um, I forget why, but uh, I don't I just I don't love that fit at all. Um, And we've talked about that, but that's the name that worries me the most is Bill O'Brien.
1: Yeah, I I worry that they're going to settle for Bill O'Brien, and I don't like Bill O'Brien at all. And like you said, we've talked about it, but this is also still early in the head coaching search process. It's September 26th. I mean, we'll see what happens between now and let's just even say the end of October. There could be other names emerging, other firings, other good fits for Nebraska. But, you know, I feel like we have a solid base of candidates here, and we've heard the same names kind of pop up um, week after week, so you know I'll be interested uh to see how much traction Dave Miranda gets because I do think he's a good fit Bill O'Brien, I mean, you might as well just have me coach, and that would probably be the same amount of effectiveness in my opinion because at least I won't at least I wouldn't leave after uh two or three seasons,
0: yeah, I mean people are talking I mean he did do a good job with the Penn State thing I mean, I'm not saying he took over a tough situation and he did a good job there. But he already had a pretty, he had Christian Hackenberg, who was a pretty solid quarterback. And he didn't, I just don't trust him on the recruiting trail. And that's, he's not a dynamic person to me, whereas I think Dave Aranda really would be. And I'm not saying you necessarily don't need to have a, you know, dynamic person, but I just think that's going to be the guy who can get the most out of this Nebraska job. I just feel like Bill O'Brien is, you know, going to be, I mean, I, I feel like the ceiling is a lot lower than it would be. Now, I think the floor would be higher. I think he would make it so you're not having, you know, you're not going to have, a, like, dumb systems. You're not going to have, you know, the schemes and stuff are going to be good. And I think he would probably, I think he would be a consistent winner. But, you know, I, I yeah, I don't think he would stay here for a long time. I think he wants to go back to the NFL. And I don't think he would be effective enough to be, like, secure here long term.
1: And you look at, like, some of the – um names he's been able to call plays for in his coaching career you had you know Tom Brady in the pros you had Christian Hackenberg you have the Alabama offense now I mean I'm not saying he's not a good coach but it also helps when you have a lot of tools in the tool chest so to speak I mean you know coaching at Alabama it can make your life a little bit easier if you're a coordinator
0: Yeah, it definitely can. And it makes recruiting a lot easier. You know, when you win all the time, when you're in the playoff, when you send everybody to the NFL, you know, that really helps for recruiting wise. I mean, Nebraska does have a lot of things to sell, I think, on the recruiting trail. But, you know, it's like where... So you think about like Bill Callahan, where is he going to help you on the recruiting trail? I mean, Dave Aranda has coached in Texas. He, you know, is coached in the big 10. He's from California. So he can, he's got ties to California, which is a place Nebraska needs to recruit Texas, which is a place Nebraska needs to recruit. And he knows the big 10. So it's like, you can see how he would try to build a staff, you know, and and plus I think he's got guys on Nebraska's staff now that would probably stick at least Mickey and, uh, you know, O'Brien, I just, like, what? what's he going to do? Ob- Alabama recruits on a national level. They basically are only recruiting, you know, outside of, like, positional need when they really need a player at a position. They're barely ever recruiting outside the top 100. So it's like a different realm of player. And I just don't see how that strategy is going to apply to Nebraska. You know what I mean?
1: I remember watching this video one time. It was a recruits visit with Nick Saban. And the visit... Yeah. Uh, The visit entailed a uh, ride on his private boat at his lake, um, a, a, a walk around, you know, his yard, which is absolutely massive. And then, you know, that's all well and good, you know, that's all well and good. But then he opens the door to his like trophy case of his house. And there's just rings everywhere, rings, trophies, like Nick Saban doesn't even have to say a word. He just has to open that room or open that section of his house, and boom, that's his recruiting pitch. So I can imagine it would make things a little bit easy for Bill O'Brien as they get the top wide receiver, the top running back, yada, yada, yada. Unfortunately, Nebraska doesn't have that yet.
0: Yeah, and I don't think Nebraska is ever, you know, going to have that. So that's why I think you really need, you know, you really need a coach that can develop talent and that isn't going to have to rely on, you know, top 10 recruiting classes. Cause I don't think that that's ever going to happen at Nebraska um, under the current, you know, the way things are working. You know, if you do get to the 12 team playoff and Nebraska starts making it, you know, that that's going to help, but it's not like Scott Frost, at least according to the rankings had poor recruits. I mean, he had top 25 classes every single year until 2022, you know, so that there's that part of it where you have to be able to recruit those kids, but then you also have to develop them and, you know, find, use for them and nebraska like if you can't find a way to use wandale robinson right there's something wrong with you as a coach so i mean i think that was a big flashing red sign right there
1: and to me you have to focus on not just kids but areas you know texas california even a little bit of florida i mean i know we've had bad luck with florida over the past couple years but i still think it's worth you know trying georgia i think might be a better uh fit especially for um Mickey Joseph, and so I think instead of just, like, getting kids, you have to focus on certain areas where you know you can have success and build from there. Like, I don't even think right now the state of Nebraska is a guaranteed success for the program in recruiting, but we've managed to land some kids in the 2023 class. How many will stay? We don't know, but right now, I mean, aside from Cameron Linhart, we haven't really seen too many kids decommit yet, which I'm a little – Encouraged and surprised by.
0: Yeah, I think it. You know, I think mostly it's because you know Mickey Joseph is still around and he's you know recruited a lot of them. And then beyond that, um you know, there, there's a few guys, but it's Nebraska just doesn't have that many high ranking guys. You know, so I don't. It's kind of I think the more as as we go along, as other schools miss on some of their targets. You know, if other schools miss on defensive line targets you know, and they've re- been recruited like Riley Van Poppel, then they're going to come over there and hit, you know, so I think it's more like a need by need basis, you know, and a lot of Nebraska guys are three-star players, you know, if they had more, if they had like top 100 guys, I think it would it'd be a little bit different, Um, but we'll see, you know, it's, I think one thing, Nebraska, you're right. They do need to get into other, you know, Texas, Florida. I mean, Nebraska has to be a national recruiting program and they, I think that they can be but you know one area that's kind of under recruited nationally where Nebraska I think could have some major inroads is like the St. Louis area Missouri they're starting to get better players in there but Nebraska just really outside of the state of Nebraska there's not a ton of like Midwestern recruiting presence um, they did get Fedoni a couple of years ago but you know there are prospects in the Midwest Nebraska's needs to start doing a better job of getting them and winning is the thing that's going to help the most
1: the Midwest and also the the uh, New Jersey, Maryland area too. I think, um, you know, I think they need to start recruiting there as well. I believe one of the transfer linemen that we got was from the New Jersey area. I want to say, was it Kevin Williams? I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, you know, they got Ramir Johnson from New Jersey and they got one other player from New Jersey. So I feel like New Jersey and Maryland also need to be, areas that should be explored because that's an area where a lot of big 10 teams, you know, really don't go too often. And I think there's some diamonds in the rough there.
0: Um, yeah, for sure. The, yeah, uh, you know, there's a lot of talent, you know, that's the, the DMB. you know, is what they, they call it, Richmond, Baltimore, Maryland, you know, that area. Um, so yeah, Nebraska's, yeah, they got Jaden Gould in the last class out of New Jersey. You know, he's someone, that you know i think could potentially still play this season because nebraska's cornerback room is just absolutely horrible right now um so we'll see how that works out but I i think it comes back to you know you just have to find you know getting the right hire and hopefully i don't know man hopefully the next coach can break the curse i do feel like nebraska has been a little bit you know cursed not that I don't believe in the curses or anything but it's just there's been so much bad luck for this program i mean it's like what 18 losses or 19 losses in a row now against ranked teams and all the close losses and just it's like everything it's like that uh video you know where somebody showed like a nebraska fan getting ready for the game and it was just the guy getting hit the nuts over and over and over again yeah, that's, what, yeah. that's what that's what saturday felt like and it's <laughs> it's been a bunch of those
1: Hopefully, hopefully they can build some momentum um, starting this week against Indiana. I mean, I don't really have tremendously high hopes, but I do hope that we can at least put on a good game and that there's some progress being shown. Uh, I mean, because as much as it doesn't feel like it, we can still make a bowl game. And so I think, you know, we have to kind of go in with that mindset of we basically have to win out, and it's going to be a tough slate, but – You know, maybe this bye week will be what the team and program needed to kind of really reset things and get back to winning.
0: Yeah, the bye week. Yeah, definitely. You know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, news coming out of the bye week. I'm going to I'm interested to see if there's like any, um, you know, personnel adjustments, especially like on the offensive line. I mean, I just. I don't know if you can trot Bryce Benhard back out there at right tackle. He was so bad. I mean, he was so bad against Oklahoma. He could barely get out of his stance at times. So it has got to be somebody else. Um, I feel the same way about Corcoran at left. I mean, playing him at guard. He was at least okay at guard. But the second they moved him out to tackle the, to replace Teddy, he just, he should never play tackle again, ever.
1: I don't understand that either. It's like the scene in Space Jam where the Monstars steal, like, Sean Bradley and Charles Barkley's powers to try to defeat the Tune Squad. I mean, they just look like they had their powers zapped. I mean, this offensive line, like, and these were all highly rated recruits. It just boggles my mind. It really boggles my mind.
0: Yeah, you know, it's offensive line really it really is about development you know i'd like to see you know Leftoski more um, williams i'd like to see him a little bit more um i'm trying to think hunter spencer the other like hunter anthony or whatever the guy they had from oak uh, transfer from oklahoma state yep, hunter like, anthony. play somebody else my god don't don't put ben hart out there again i mean I, the way that ben i mean ben hart just It was unbelievable to me how slow he was getting out of his stance against Oklahoma. Like, they were at – they were, like, level with him by the time he even got out of his stance. like – that's probably why they took Casey Martz. They're like, yeah, we need Chuba to play a little bit. But they're like, really, Casey, you're going to die if you play 10 more snaps in front of Bryce Benhart.
1: Yeah, and you have to wonder, like, if I was, you know, uh, Mark Whipple, you know, I would – play out of shotgun from now on. I would go solely out of shotgun from now on unless I really needed to run the football because that's the only way you're going to be able to protect your quarterback right now. And, you know, it's just like I don't understand why, you know, Hunter Anthony and, you know, some of the others haven't been given a chance yet because at this point, like, you're just looking to stop the bleeding.
0: Well, at least they've got some experience playing the, yeah. you know, Oklahoma state um, Williams is from Northern Colorado, I believe. So, I mean, they've at least got some position, you know, I mean, it's like Corcoran, I am, I, I mean, Bernard. I get it. He's been playing there, you know, and he t- hasn't looked as bad as like the Oklahoma game, but you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, Indiana's not a great pass rushing team. They've got 10 sacks through their first four games. Um, they're three and one. They beat Illinois, which was kind of their, you know, their solid win. They lost to um, Cincinnati over the weekend, 38-24. Um, so their defense is not that great, really. They are the worst in the Big Ten in that pass efficiency. You know, we're close to right there with them. But we, Nebraska gives up more yards. Um, we give up, I believe, more points. But... Uh, the thing, I think, too, you know, looking at Indiana where it seems like they might be a favorable matchup for Nebraska's. they only are they're averaging like 3.4 yards per rushing attempt. We all know Nebraska is not great at running that uh, run defense. They're the only Big Ten team right now. That's give that's allowing over five yards of carry Nebraska giving up like 5.7 yards of carry. So there are some concerns. Uh, Indiana's got Connor Bazalak. He transferred from Missouri last year, but he's thrown quite a few interceptions. Not that Nebraska has been able to intercept the ball at all this year, but um, I don't know how much you've kind of looked at Indiana. Nebraska coming in has been labeled a three and a half point favorite. You know, not that that has helped us at all before. We are one and two this year's as uh, the favorite. So, you know, you can kind of throw the spread out the window, but I kind of buy that and that, you know, it seems like this matchup is pretty even, you know, if you gave Nebraska the Indiana schedule, I mean, Nebraska would probably would be three and one right now too, you know, maybe not, but uh, with the loss of Georgia Southern, but what are your kind of first impressions of uh, the matchup against Indiana?
1: When I looked at, you know, their schedule and, you know, the scores so far, I came away that, you know, they like, like you guys kind of said, they have a defense that can allow points and, you know, I think it's going to be important for Nebraska to get off to a fast start offensively because I'm still not comfortable with this defense right now. And, you know, Basilak, seven touchdowns, four interceptions, you know, over 1,000 yards. And, you know, they really – I want to say they don't have a go-to running back per se, but they have two and Sean Shivers and Josh Henderson – that have 320 and 159 yards, respectively, and average 4.6 and 4.4 yards a carry. The big, you know, kind of X factor, at least to me initially, is their wide receiver, Cam Camper. He has 418 uh, receiving yards on 33 receptions and averages a little over 12 yards per reception, 12.7 yards. And um, so he, to me, is their big kind of – um, X factor offensively. I mean, it doesn't look like they do anything overly impressive, but it looks like they're solid um, on the offensive side of the football in several areas. And I mean, I think it's going to be a challenge more so for the secondary than it is for the run defense. But that's not to say that their running backs are bad by any stretch of the imagination. I just kind of worry about Camper heading into uh, this coming Saturday. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they throw the ball. I think they're throwing the ball 50 times a game. Um, still only averaging like 20. So they're completing less than 60% of the passes, which isn't you know, great in terms of efficiency. Um, but yeah, Tom Allen's kind of always been, you know, a pass happy kind of coach. That's how, that's just kind of the way that their system's been. I think they know that they're Indiana and they can't just like line up and run the football at people that win. But uh, Shivers is pretty good, you know, and the the run defense is going to be tested. The defensive tackles, you know, they're going to have to play better. And I think that that's one thing defensively It would be, you know, like Oklahoma was just not that they even needed to worry about third downs. But most of the time this year, it's been, um, you know, the first down defense hasn't been very good. You know what I mean? Like you're giving up. It's hard to give up four or five, six yards every time you get a first down or a completion. I mean, we saw that with Eric Schneider so many times guys playing off so much. Um, you're giving up yardage on first down. It makes it hard to get off the field. You have to win on first down, keep ahead of the down and distance. And so I'm going to be interested to see what, you know, Bill Bush does this week. I think that's one of the biggest questions. I think a huge indictment of, you know, Eric Shenander came from Urban Meyer, you know, strangely enough in that he, he was talking about the Nebraska schemes and how they basically don't disguise anything. And uh, there's just there's no disguising in coverage and blitzes and everything. And so you can't do that stuff anymore. Like this isn't like even though college football is not the NFL, like if you want to play high level defense, especially against like a team like Oklahoma, you've got to be disguising your coverages Mm -hmm. Um, because these, these guys have seen everything. So it's like. You know, I mean, football is just so much different now when guys are playing seven. on t- I mean, you know, like Dylan Gabriel has been throwing passes since he was in seventh grade. He's seen every coverage and blitz. You got to mix it up. You got to get him thinking about it. You know, if, if the de- if the defense can sit there, basically, you know, like what Urban Meyer was saying is that if the offense can look at your defense with 10 or 15 seconds and know what you're going to do, they're going to beat you. Unless you're just that much better, you know, talent wise, they're going to beat you almost every time. And that's where Nebraska was with Shenander.
1: Oh, yeah. And, you know, it was about lining up personnel correctly in terms of positional fit. Like, for example, I know we talked about this ad nauseum, but having so many linebackers out on the field, and I'm going to be interested to see if there are any, like you said, any wrinkles um, to this Nebraska defense. Um, Like I said to me, you know, making sure that they contain Camper is, you know, one of the biggest things, in my opinion. He has... He had a 156-yard game against Illinois in their season opener. And then last weekend, he had 126 yards. So he is a big play threat. And to me, I think one of the biggest things is going to be um, pass rush and, you know, not giving the quarterback time to throw. And I feel like that's one of my keys every week. But, uh, you know, it's just been against good offenses and some not-so-good offenses, I just – see the secondary and the defensive line getting sliced and diced, whether it be running with the quarterback and can't get enough pressure on the pass rush or wide receivers just being wide open and, you know, that can't happen again.
0: Yeah, there's been, you know, outside of O'Shawn Mathis, there really hasn't been anybody that's consistently winning one-on-one battles, you know, up front. Garrett Nelson has really struggled this year. I don't know if it's because teams are, you know, paying more attention to him, but, you know, he's done okay in the run game. I mean, he's made, you know, a few plays here or there, but, you know, he's really struggled. Caleb Tanner hasn't done anything. And then they just, you know, I haven't seen, I'd like to see Blaine Gunnarsson or, you know, put somebody out there, you know, to do something. Um, But another issue is there's just no interior pass rush. I mean, Ty Robinson hasn't done anything this year. And, you know, Devin drew had a sack last week, but that was after the quarterback held the ball for like six seconds. So it's not really what I would call like effective interior pressure. They need somebody to be pushing the pocket. Hopefully Devin drew can start doing that. But, um, you know, if some of these guys aren't producing, like you've got to turn, you know, put some of these younger guys out there. I mean, maybe they're just really like really not ready, but, you know, just sticking with the same old, you know, walk on, try hard types that aren't being productive just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, at the same time, though, it is going to be hard for Bill Bush. There's only so many adjustments that you can make, you know, and try to stick with whatever the scheme is. I think the biggest thing is these guys have got to start tackling. And uh, they got I mean, even with Shenander, I mean, they were disguising looks, but you constantly had guys who weren't lined up right. So, I mean, I just think getting people in the right spots and kind of going back to that almost a high school level of just simplifying things will, will help a lot. I mean, Indiana is not a team that's more talented than Nebraska. That's one thing I can say with confidence. Nebraska is the more talented team. Nebraska should win this game, but we all know the coaching aspect of it. That's the big question. We still have questions about Mickey Joseph. I still have a lot of questions about him as a head coach, as a position coach, as a recruiter. Yes, but as a head coach, his first performance was not good. And I know people you know, are saying the five days or whatever, but okay, he, didn't, he shouldn't have needed any time to sit there and look at, and I shouldn't be running no huddle against Oklahoma. Like there's basic things he should have done and we'll see if that happens this week. But I still have a lot of concerns about him as a head coach.
1: I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I I know that, like, you and I kind of disagreed about that on Twitter. But, um, you know, I think, I think your concerns are warranted for sure just because, you know, if he is competing or, you know, auditioning for a head coaching job, then he needs to, I think, really win this game on Saturday. I mean, this is as much of an audition tape and, you know, a chance to show what he can do as it is, you know, with the goal to get Nebraska wins. But, you know, I'll be interested to see if he kind of – what adjustments he's made during the bye week, um, you know, if he has a more um, up-tempo offensive plan – or slower offensive plan, rather, and if he can kind of – get some sort of cohesion on offense, because we saw against Oklahoma, there was that very first play where, you know, they took the ball down the field, threw the deep ball, touchdown, and then after that, it was completely stifled. And and granted, the Oklahoma defense was very good, but this isn't the first time uh, that we've seen offensive power outages, so to speak. And I'd like to see the offense be able to play a complete game and not just score 21 points in the first half but then go silent in the second half and you know kind of finish the job all the way through because this is a talented offense but it seems like they just haven't been able to put
0: everything together for the entirety of the game yeah I think one thing you know that's it was just hard to when you bring in a new offensive coordinator you know there's going to be And adjustment time. And I think that is, you know, kind of overlooked a little bit with, you know, Mark Whipple coming in here. Um, But yeah, I I do think that Mickey Joseph can improve. You know, I'm not saying that he's not going to be a better in-game coach or whatever, but I guess my example for the, you know, if you uh, people, there's the lions and the Vikings yesterday game yesterday and Detroit was up by three and they had a fourth and one at like the Vikings, 20 something Matt Campbell, you're uh, the, yeah, not Matt Campbell, sorry, Dan Campbell. (laughs) I got Campbell on the brain, but he, decided to kick a field goal and I think they I don't know if they missed it either way the Vikings went down and and won the game whereas if the the Lions just would have went for it on fourth and one and got it it would have been game over and afterwards he sat there in the press conference and said I hate this call I hate that I went for the field goal and it's like, OK, it's one thing to have it after the fact. But at some point, if you're going to be a successful head coach, you need to make the right calls beforehand, like saying afterwards that you messed up and that I should have done this. Like that doesn't do any good if you're doing that at the press conference every week. You need to have the foresight to know that's what great coaches have. And so I didn't see that for Mickey Joseph the first game. That doesn't mean he can't get better from you know this one. And and uh, we'll see. I think he's got a lot a, a lot of the right ideas. I think the kids want to play for him. But at the same time, I saw a lot of guys that didn't seem like they were giving maximum effort. Maybe they were just 100% gas against Oklahoma. But I didn't see a team that was, like, fighting and scratching and clawing. You know what I mean? I really felt like a team that was like, we're getting our asses whipped again.
1: I can see both of that. I mean, there were some elements where, you know, they really looked like they just kind of went through the motions. But the defense was also on the field a ton. And so – It could be a mix of both, I think, and I think that's what it is. But we'll see what they do against Indiana. I think this game will tell a lot for many areas of this team. I mean, if they win, you know, they get a win under their belt, try to go for a win streak against Rutgers uh, next week, and, you know, maybe things are looking up by the time we get to the heavier part of
0: the schedule. I'm smiling. I'm laughing because the thing is, is if Nebraska, like, goes and wins this game, like, you know, say they win by 14, just some, they just like come out and play really well. You know for a fact that people are going to be like, we're, we can still win the Big Ten West, which I know is mathematically possible. I think Minnesota might be the, or no, Iowa and Minnesota are undefeated right now, but Minnesota, Minnesota looks, looks really good. They look really good. And Michigan State looks really bad. So maybe, I don't know, maybe the transfer portal thing isn't the best idea. I don't know. I mean, I think giving Mel Tucker
1: that major contract was a stupid idea had a good year last year, but I would have waited. It's the same thing that ultimately, you know, Moose did with Scott Frost. And I understand that, you know, that's what the going rate was at the time. But, I mean, and I think the transfer portal can work. I just think, you know, Mel Tucker, when you can ride Kenneth Walker all season like you did last year, you know, why why wouldn't you? That makes the team look really good. But now there's just
0: struggling really bad this year. I think it just shows that you, you know, you have to recruit well in high school and I think you just have to recruit well at every possible way. You know, and Nebraska has to do it through JUCOs, but uh, the transfer portal, and then, um, you know, high school recruiting. I think you got to do it all. And Nebraska, that's the thing is Nebraska, you know, I, I get people who are there saying like Nebraska is not that great of a job, but it. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it's a top 10 job in college football, but I think it's a top 20 job. I mean, it's a a place where you can have a top 25 program every year. I mean, you really can in terms of like the recruiting and everything that goes into it, as long as you just have a coach that can figure it out. So, I mean, I just feel like there's resources at Nebraska to be successful at play. You know, like I feel like there's more built-in, opportunities to be successful like at Nebraska than there are at Iowa State or Baylor or Kansas, for instance, you know. Um, so, I I mean, I, I understand why maybe some of those coaches wouldn't want to leave, but I still think Nebraska's got, you know, a lot of things going for it in terms of trying to find its next head coach.
1: I just wonder if the people in charge will make the proper decisions to find the next head coach. I, I, I just hope they don't settle, and I've said it before. I hope they don't settle or, you know, try to – you know, take the easiest route because now this is a decision that will affect Trev Albert's tenure as athletic director at Nebraska, good or bad. So he's got to be very careful about who he hires next. And, you know, maybe some more candidates will emerge down the road. I mean, like I said earlier, we still got a ton of season and,
0: you know, maybe so easier. Your- Let's change. So, who's your top three right now? Who's your, if you were Trev Alberts, like, and you were just putting, like, who's on your top three list right now?
1: Oh, okay. Dave Miranda is number one. Okay. Lance, Lance Leopold is number two.
0: Okay.
1: And honestly, very bottom, but number three, Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, okay. Well, I don't there think we- he's coming. I don't think he, like, I've basically tossed the Urban Meyer thing out the window and not because I don't want him, but I just don't think he's coming.
0: Yeah, I don't. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like there's any interest. He's such a um, – he is a snake oil salesman, though, so it wouldn't shock me at all. It wouldn't shock me at all if he sat there and said, oh, I'm not coming, I'm not coming, and then all of a sudden he's, like, at the press conference, you know. I feel like it would be one of those kind of deals where, like, it there wouldn't be that much report. It would just be, like, out – it would just be – you know, all of a sudden, bam, he's out. But I I don't think that's going to happen. But
1: See, the thing that intrigues me about Leopold is the speed of his offense. If you watch the Kansas game on Saturday, that offense was flying. That offense was absolutely flying. And, you know, you kind of need, you know, an explosive offense, not a stagnant one. And, Mm -hmm. And, you know, Leopold's been able to do that at Kansas so far this year. I understand previous seasons, but, you know, he's really doing a nice job of getting the most um, that he can out of this Kansas offense. And, you know, again, I go back to, you know, his success at Division three. Yes, it's Division three, but a lot of times, you know, you have, you know, your quarterback working two jobs or your running back, you know, trying to make ends meet. And Division three is for the kids that love the game. And it's really hard to develop success there. And that's what he was able to do. So that's why Leopold is my number one. Um, Aranda, you know, we kind of spoke about and then Urban Meyer, I think is a long shot and you know, I uh, I'm not going to say he goes against my morals because my morals are very low to begin with, but, uh, <laughs> but I just I'm kind of uneasy about the fit. I just see him as somebody that would leave after two years and not kind of, you know be here to see this whole program rebuilds.
0: Yeah, it's like I said, I mean I, I think he would be a good fit, you know. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. I think he'd win. I don't know if he'd be a good fit, but I do think he'd win. But yeah, I, I well, agree. Stability, you know what I mean? Stability. Like, this pro- yeah. there's there, there's nothing
1: this program needs more right now than
0: stability. And I
1: don't know if he would be the guy to deliver. it. He could deliver fast success, which is good. But, you know, this program needs, you know, l- like we said before, five coaches in 20 years. Right now we need, you know, some form of stability to really kind of put this program on a good track so that say if, you know, the next coach, you know, came in, um, he would be able to take over a program without it being in shambles. Like that's what they did at Baylor. I think, Uh, you know, Baylor had a pretty solid base and now, you know, Dave Aranda has been able to really kind of work with it and, you know, it shouldn't be an all or nothing rebuild after a coach leaves. There should be some, pieces there and I think we need for this program years and years of stability because I know you talked about Chris the recruiting is you know kind of poor right now there's not a lot in the cupboard right now so we need a coach in my opinion that will be here for the you know long haul so to speak and I understand in college sports a so long haul is not what it used to be anymore but still
0: yeah I think I would be I like Aranda I really like Leopold. um you know, I kind of go back and forth between those two guys as my top two. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like Aranda, maybe. I don't know. It's hard to say. You know, when a guy's ready to leave his job or not. Leopold, I just – You know, he's only he's been at Kansas two years, but he does have that Nebraska tie where he worked for Frank Solich. So maybe bringing back a former Frank Solich assistant would end the curse because, I' Nebraska has been cursed a little bit. I mean, there's just. There's something going on, man. Like the lack of success we've had is just I don't I don't there's no natural explanation for it. It's a curse.
1: Leopold has three wins at a basketball school and has more wins than Nebraska does right now. And it's he's got four and, now, because he's four and oh, oh yeah, the four. That's right. Four. And so yeah, you're looking that's more games than Nebraska's won And let's see. Last year they won three. This year they've only won one. So it's like a year and a half so far. So I mean, not that the bar is set high for him, but I really liked what I saw. His offense was fast-paced. He got his team to play hard. He gets the most out of the players that he has on the field, and that's something that I find really respectable in a head coach because, you know, we're seeing it now. You know, you can have all the talent in the world or at least a good amount of talent, and it just doesn't measure up. I love the coaches that are able to take, you know, the three stars and make them into something special, and I think that's a coach – we need moving forward.
0: So we have Sean G is back. He says, I've seen a lot of people who say urban Meyer won't come to Lincoln because Shelly Meyer won't live there. Happy wife, happy life. Um, I mean, I I've said not this about uh, Shelly, but you know, people said like people threw out Deion Sanders name. And I just like, I see no scenario where Deion Sanders wants to live in Nebraska. Deion Sanders has a made right now. Deion Sanders hasn't made I can see him going to for, like, if Auburn comes open, that to me, if I was Auburn, he would be my number one candidate. I would throw everything I had at Deion Sanders if I was Auburn. If I was Georgia Tech, I would do the same thing. Basically, any program in the ACC or SEC that has an opening, like, I would make a run at him. But I don't think he's coming to Lincoln, Nebraska. I just He doesn't seem like a guy that wants to spend his months around corn and in the cold. So, you know, that's, that's that, a southern that's job.
1: Any southern job I think he would be game for. Any job that involves cold, like up here in Massachusetts, absolutely no chance whatsoever. In 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 Nebraska, probably no chance whatsoever. But, you know, I do think, you know, it's interesting what Sean brings up. I mean it it it, it could be, you know, uh a playing factor, you never know. You see what's going on with Tom Brady right now. So there's definitely uh there's definitely familial elements that go into certain aspects of football careers and, and, you know, happy wife happy life. Uh, I can definitely understand that as well.
0: So Sean also says, love the channel, by the way, I watch every chance I get and uh, we'll use that as a plug to make sure if you guys are watching or checking out our content to, you know, like, comment and uh, make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss any of our content but thanks for watching sean we really yeah,
1: appreciate it you, Sean. we just kind of babble up here with no real plan and we appreciate that someone actually likes watching us talk and so yeah i think we're four away from 100 subscribers so that's big too i remember a couple uh, weeks ago we were at what like 57 and yeah. we've really grown so thank you guys we really appreciate it
0: And uh, we still are putting out stuff on the podcast, too. So make sure if you're listening or watching, you know, there's kind of a little talk on Nebraska Twitter about that. You know, I like to I like to watch the podcast sometimes. Sometimes I like to listen. So it just kind of depends how it goes. But, uh, yeah, it's been fun to, you know, interact with everybody. And we're going to be on this long process, man, with this coaching search, because like we've been saying, it's not going to be over anytime soon. You know, at least I don't think I'd be really surprised if. I think they're. I think Trev is going to get one of these head coaches. Like I don't. I I'm just trying to will it to not be Bill O'Brien because I really don't want him. But I know we disagree on a lot, but I think that's one thing we can agree on. Yeah, we can. No I mean, Bill I think O'Brien. our lists. You know, I think our lists are pretty similar. I've got around. I don't. I'm still juggling with my third one, which I guess would be Matt Campbell. But I don't know. I'm I'm starting to get a little more. Um, just not not feeling Matt Campbell quite as much. But can
1: I ask why? Because he was pretty high on your list uh, for a couple weeks.
0: I don't know. It's just you know they don't. I It's just that's the thing. Is it's really no reason for it. It's just that I I like Dave Aranda better, and um, I really like Lance Lepold. So I, I don't think it's necessarily anything wrong with Matt Campbell. Um, I do think he would do a good job, and I do think that for you know I. The thing I guess that worries me is I've seen some of the stats of like he hasn't sent a ton of guys to the NFL and that they've lost a lot of games, um, you know, where they've been like favored or against the spread or whatever, which I don't think that makes that big of a difference. But like, and so it is, you know, last year I think they underperformed a little bit. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens this year. They're three and one so far. Uh, they played pretty well against Baylor, though. But the one thing I do like about Matt Campbell is that I think he, if he came to Nebraska, I don't think he would leave for a long time, you know, unless he got fired. I think he would be here for the long haul. I think he would build the right culture. And I think he would recruit in a way that would set up Nebraska for success long-term. I think my worry about him is similar with O'Brien. I just don't know if he's ever going to get you past like nine wins, you know, or if he's ever going to do more than say like win the Big Ten West, which I do think would be obviously sweet. You know, we haven't won the Big Ten West. I think when we won the division, it was like the legends or the leaders, whatever stupid crap the Big Ten had then. So we haven't won the Big Ten. We haven't really even made a run at the Big Ten West since we've been there. So, But and and then beyond him, I don't really, there's not a whole lot of names. One name I think that's interesting. I was thinking about this for Georgia Tech, but uh, Dan Mullen, that game doesn't get mentioned a lot, but he coached. He's coached 13 seasons in the SEC, and he's coached teams to 11 bowl games. He coached Mississippi State to nine straight uh, bowl games. So it's like uh, I, I don't know why he's not getting mentioned, not necessarily for the Nebraska job, but he's just a name I think that should be out there for – I mean, he's he, if you've won for over a decade in the SEC, it seems like that would be someone you might think about.
1: I know Florida fans were sick of him uh, towards the end. So I don't know. I think um... – I think, you know, he does have that list or that list of achievements. Um, And, you know, he's being brought up. I just saw an article for um, Georgia Tech, uh, for the Georgia Tech position. But, I mean, I think also, you know, he does have a record of success. But does he necessarily – move the needle like some of the other names i'm not so sure about that i mean he did lead florida to uh the cotton bowl in 2020 with an eight and four record he finished five and six you know last year so maybe it's just too soon maybe if this was you know looking for a 2024 coach or 2023 coach maybe his name would be brought up a little bit more but i do think there are a lot of strong candidates for this nebraska job and i think that's probably why his name hasn't been brought up
0: yeah, that's true. I, th- I think you're right. That's God, I think of the other name. So who, here's who I would put on my third list. Who actually would probably be like not if I had my true choice, if they were, if they were like within reason, I could hire anybody that I wanted, I would hire Mark Stoops. He would be in my top three. I just don't know that he's going to come to Nebraska, but the one thing about it is like you have to, I mean, he's done a good job at Kentucky in that he's turned that program around and he's done a great job there, but Football's always going to be second at Kentucky. Football will never be equal to basketball in Kentucky. Same thing with Kansas, too. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, and I know Mark Stoops already got kind of pissy with Calipari because, you know, he said basically like it's a basketball school and Stoops like fired back. And it's like, no, dude, you coach at a basketball school. You're never going to have the same resources. You're never going to have the same support. It's just like people like Kentucky football, but it's, you know, it's like Nebraska um, football in Kentucky is the basketball team, you know. So, like, maybe if you really made a hard run at, at Stoops, maybe you could get him. He'd be that's like my dream candidate is uh, Mark Stoops.
1: If I was Mark Stoops, though, I wouldn't walk away from that dream contract. But did you say it was? If he gets seven wins, he gets a one year re extension, or he gets an extension, or something. I remember we talked about this. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure on that one. I think there's something. Where if he wins like a certain amount of games, he gets an extension. I'm going to have to look this
0: up, but you know, he's going to be in line for a big payday anyway. I mean, uh, cause they're, they're unbeaten in the top 10 and they won 10 games last year.
1: Yeah. And they, and they uh, made the citrus bowl. And so right now he is among the highest paid um, coaches. So I don't know. There's stability and there's, you know, a good contract that, that Mark Stoops has. And, you know, I don't see him leaving it. I really don't see him leaving it because Kentucky wants stability for their program. And, you know, I think Stoops is a good fit and, you know, he did well with uh, Wondell Robinson. So, I mean, I don't really see him leaving a good situation to kind of inherit a rebuilding project.
0: Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's going to – I think it would take a lot of money. And, um, you know, the th- the thing is is that that guy could recruit – he'd recruit Ohio. He would fix the defense. And uh, I just think he would have a lot of – I think he have Nebraska as the class of the Big Ten West. I mean, before USC shows up because USC is going to be a freaking juggernaut. I mean, let's just Yeah, – you're going to have – like basically what I see the Big Ten, you know, is Ohio State's going to be loaded – Michigan's going to be really good as long as Jim Harbaugh's there. And uh, I think Penn State's going to be really good as long as Franklin's around. And then USC, I think those are the four big-time programs. Um, you know. And then I think Michigan State, Wisconsin are kind of – I think we can be in that next group. I think that's where Nebraska should be. But cracking that top four once USC joins I think is going to be pretty tough.
1: And recruiting with Lincoln Riley uh, opposing you is going to be pretty tough. He's a damn good recruiter. And I don't know. I mean, Nebraska, that's the other thing too. Nebraska needs to get this right because they can fall even further to the point where there's no return with USC coming in. So, oh, this is going to be a big hire in many respects, um, you know, moving forward. So they need to get this one right. Trev Alberts for his sake needs to get this one right. And, You know, if we end up, I'll just say this. If we end up with Bill O'Brien, that's the only hire where I'm really going to be upset. All the others that I've heard so far, I would be okay with.
0: So here's the thing is I've already thought about this scenario where I am going to be pissed off if they hire Bill O'Brien. But the thing is, is like within two or three days, I'll be sitting here talking about why it's a great hire because, you know, it's like. If
1: because you, we need I, content that's why because we need content i'll i'll, just, I'll, I'll be messaging I'm
0: an you an, i'm just an internal optimist no matter what i'll flip it around you know like i like I, yeah i'll be if they beat indiana i'll have i'll have myself slightly convinced that they can get to a bowl game you know like and win the big 10 west that's just it's just how i am
1: i mean and there's no and there's no fault in that but i mean honestly i think if bill o'brien is hired you can be the ray of sunshine on this side of the podcast and i'll just be miserable I think –
0: yeah, it's like, like – I guess said, I think Bill O'Brien will win more games. I just don't think he's going to – I don't think he's going to be a dynamic recruiter, and I just worry that – but maybe not. Maybe like the NFL's like like, we don't want your shit anymore, Bill O'Brien. You win maybe more games
1: win. than what, Scott Frost, the the three he's won yeah. in the past two years? That's a really high bar over here. Yeah, it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, think I he hope could, he wins more
0: games. Well, yeah, he'd have to. I mean, unless we really admit they are cursed, I don't know. I, but I do think, like, he could – no, I mean, I, I feel like he would do similar to what he did at Penn State, but, like, people – he won 15 games in two years, which, I mean, yeah, it was good. It was better than what they had, but it's not like – it's not like he won a Big Ten championship at Penn State or something, you know?
1: Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if the NFL would be sick of his shit because just look at Josh McDaniels. He got another head coaching job, and he's on 3 again, so – Hopefully he comes back to New England, but that's a separate issue.
0: But I'm just saying, I think the NFL is big on he, second. He can change. come back. He can come back to New England and then call the plays, but not be called the offensive coordinator.
1: I know that. That's that's so ridiculous. I'm not looking forward to the matchup with your Packers uh, this Sunday. I'll, t- I'll I'll tell you that right now. But uh, you know, at least we don't have Aaron Rodgers because I like Aaron Rodgers, the football player, but I just don't like his personality. I really don't.
0: Yeah, he's a douche. I mean, he he makes it kind of hard to cheer for him sometimes, you know.
1: Your receivers are good though, Romeo Dobbs and um, you know Christian Watson and I really like Dobbs. I wish we took him, but you know, such is life. Yeah,
0: first, yeah, such is life. I wish, yeah. Why can't? Why that's like with Christian Watson. Why isn't that guy at Nebraska? You know what I mean? Like that's you got to find guys like that. Yeah, he was North Dakota State, wasn't he? Yeah, and he tested his testing at the Combine was like Julio Jones type. He's like the best athlete since Julio Jones. So it's like, why is that guy playing FCS football? He should be at Nebraska. I don't know. Well, just
1: think about it. Just the three players I can name off the top of my head, Trey Lance, Kaiser Wentz, Christian Watson. I mean, that's a pretty solid list for FCS program.
0: Yeah, it's North. See, we, uh, we we're thinking about all these other programs and it's North Dakota State that's taken all of our players. But really though, I mean – Yeah, I feel like they. I feel like they should be in the freaking Big Ten or at least the Big Twelve.
1: Yeah, no, but I mean, why would they want to leave? It's like Notre Dame. Like, why would they want to join a conference? They get their own television network. All these, yeah, all this big money, money, and (laughs) I mean, I don't think Notre Dame cares. I think they just care about you know winning, getting easy
0: bowl games, and then getting blown out when it matters. See, I don't – to me, it's so weird to not play in a conference because, like, Nebraska always grew – you know, the Big 8 championship always meant something to me, and the Big 10 championship would mean something if Nebraska could ever win one. Like, that's the – like, I don't really think about – you know, I, I know people talk about it, – but it's like, to me – and this is where college football – it's kind of fallen off where it used to be like you won your goal. You know, if you played in the big eight, you wanted to win the big eight and go to the orange bowl. If you played in the big 10, you wanted to win that and go to the Rose bowl. And if you like won the Rose bowl or the orange bowl, you were happy. And then if you got voted number one, it was like, but the national championship wasn't like the end all be all goal for every team, at least. And now it's, mm. and now, it you know, now like Ohio state won the Rose bowl last year. They don't even give a shit. They're like, that was a failed season. So, you know, yep. that's, it's so different than it used to be. Oh yeah, for
1: sure. And I wonder what the, the old computer BCS rankings would churn uh, out for these seasons, but it was, you know, and this is a whole nother video for another day, but as flawed as the BCS was, I feel like it would have given more opportunities than we're seeing with the current college football playoff system. Granted, it will expand, but I'm not sure that will honestly improve the competition. Other teams might obviously make it in,
0: but I still think the big dog, so to speak, will reign supreme. Yeah, I don't think it's going to change. What I what I like about it is that it's it, So when you get to twelve teams, instead of you know a bunch of like old coaches or whoever the hell sitting in this room figuring out who the top four teams are, we're gonna all they have to do is figure out the top twelve, and we're actually going to find out. You know, like yeah. last year Ohio State was probably still one of the four best teams. Now I get why they weren't included in that playoff because they lost, but if you had an actual 12 team playoff, they would have made the semifinals. Like they, oh, yeah. you know, there's no way that's, and I'm sorry, Cincinnati, but there's no way that Cincinnati would have made it. Like maybe they would have, I just don't, I just don't think they were the fourth best team last year. Now they based off everything else that happened, but like, I think Utah probably would have beat them. I, I know Ohio state would have beat them and I'm trying to think who else was, was kind of out there. Um, baylor i mean i think baylor so i mean really i think cincinnati last year was probably like the eighth or ninth best team and they got a chance so to me instead of us seeing like you know it could have been maybe michigan might not have made it either but you could have had like michigan and georgia on one side and then alabama against ohio state or utah somebody that had like a legitimate chance to beat them
1: honestly shout out to utah because they've been incredibly consistent and kyle whittingham uh, has run a very good program over there, but you know, I'll be interested to see how this affects uh, how this affects recruiting and the 12 team playoff and you know, where college football goes from here. But uh, right now, I think Nebraska just needs to focus on wins and we can worry about the uh, college yeah. football playoffs later.
0: <laughs> yeah, one win, one win this week against Indiana. So we'll uh, at, at that point, we'll start to transition here to the end of the show since we're past the. Uh, Seven o'clock Mountain Time, past nine o'clock your time. We're trying to keep it about to an hour, but we have. Uh, we're already, already. over. <laughs> <laughs> but uh,
1: we're already over an hour. Sorry. But
0: so we got some great talk in here. So remember, folks, to uh like our, our videos. You know, comment, let us know. We will definitely you know get it and inter- interact with the fellow Nebraska fans. That's why we do this. And uh, subscribe to the channel and look out. We'll have a a preview and predictions uh, post coming up on Indiana either Thursday or Friday and you can always check out all of our written content as well um huskerbigred.com for me danny at uh, thegreatcornholio.org so we're going to have a ton of content there follow us on twitter and uh, as always go big red go big red